Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, welcome back to uh, Carolina Newsmakers. This week, we're talking about something that affects almost all North Carolinians, if not all North Carolinians, and that is the automobile industry. And uh, I suspect that, uh, I don't know what the percentage is, but probably uh, in the high 99% of the folks in North Carolina either have a car or have a family member that has a car. And so this is one of the the biggest uh, investments that a family will make. Uh, It is uh, a large part of their budget uh, of keeping the cars running and going and uh, and the usage thereof. And for that reason, we have asked uh, Robert Glasser to be with us. Robert is uh, the uh, president of the North Carolina Automobile Dealers Association. And uh, Bob, thank you so much for being with us. And uh, before we get into the questions about uh, what's going on in that industry, how about giving us a little bit of a background about the association, what its membership is, and uh, and the purpose of the organization? Don, thank you very much. And it's an honor to be here with you today. Uh, Don, NCADA was, uh, was created in 1935. Uh, it's an association of all new car dealers in, in North Carolina. We have about 580 members. Uh, we sell about 500,000. We sell about a half a million cars. Uh, interestingly, in the 86-year history of NCADA, there have only been three presidents or executive directors. And uh, my predecessor was was at NCADA for 25 years, and his predecessor was there for 35 years. So the average tenure in my position is 30 years, and uh our mission really is to protect, promote, and educate uh, the car dealers on uh, the uh, consumer transactions and consumer trends. It's a great association, and it's an honor to have been here for the last 26 years. Well, as we said just a few moments ago, a car is a huge investment and uh, uh, and a large part of the family budget. And uh, with uh, nearly a half million cars being sold each year, uh, that's new cars because uh, new car dealers also, of course, sell used cars. Um, a lot of interesting trends in that industry. Uh, one of the ones that uh, I guess is a, a sort of of interest to me right now is the talk about the electronic cars or the battery-operated cars. How is that going to change the way that people uh, – buy cars and what they look for. And when do you see this change happening? Well, Don, in in North Carolina right now, about one half of 1% of the cars sold are EVs or electric vehicles. That was prior to 2021. That number is now about two percentage points. So we sell about a half million cars a year. And in North Carolina, just this year, two percentage points of those cars about 10,000 units will be electric vehicles. So it still has a long way to go before every every vehicle on the road is an EV. You'll see uh, internal combustion engine vehicles on the road for a long, long time. Uh, but with that said, uh, Don, I, the, the transaction is exactly the same. The consumer comes in the dealership, wants to buy a, a vehicle, looks at the vehicle, sits in the vehicle, selects a vehicle, and, and uh, the, the dealer... A uh, totally transparent transaction gets the best financing for them and, and uh, arranges it, titles it, registers it, and uh, and the consumer drives off. So the transaction will not be a lot different with EVs as they are internal combustion engines. 
Well, it, uh, it, you know, car dealers are just like any other retailer or seller of products or services. You want to sell the consumer what they want to buy and, uh, and, and provide them with the very best uh, uh, opportunity you can. So that, that's a good answer. I, I would have suspected from what I've been reading that the number of uh, electric vehicles was a little higher than that. But uh, so the trend is moving uh, as you said, very slowly toward electric cars. And uh, how quickly do you think that will pick up? Will that pick up a couple of points a year or something of that nature? Well, we're expecting, Don, we're expecting it quadrupled in the last year. It went from 0.5, which is one half 1% to 2%. So it's quadrupling it. Uh, we expect it to be up in the 5 to 10% within the next 10 years. Uh, we don't expect it to grow as fast as it's going to grow in large metro areas like San Francisco, Chicago, and New York. But when you get to a lot of the smaller regions, for example, I was in Greenville this past week, and I asked the dealers in Greenville, I said, how many of your consumers are asking about EVs? And there's not a lot of consumer demand in a lot of the rural areas of North Carolina just yet. Now, with that said, there are about 80 new models coming out by the legacy manufacturers, Ford, General Motors, Chrysler, Chevrolet. Uh, so there's a ton of new models coming out, but consumer demand has not really caught up yet uh, to the OEM supply of those vehicles. Uh, I, I noticed a couple of very interesting things in your, uh, some of the comments that uh, Jason collected for me about the uh, average dealership. The average dealership uh, I see employs about 63 employees, but you have some very large dealerships in North Carolina that, of course, would have a great number of more employees than that. But this was the figure that sort of uh, astounded me, that 21% of all retail sales in North Carolina are created by North Carolina dealers. Is that new car sales, or does that include uh, service and, and everything else that is involved in a dealership? Now, that's total revenue through the association or through the dealership, one yeah. out of every $5, one out of every five retail dollars spent in North Carolina goes through a franchise new car and truck dealer. It's an incredible, it's an incredible number, uh, but you got to think the transaction price, the average transaction price of a new car for the first time ever in 2021 exceeded $40,000. Uh, so yeah, we're proud of the fact that we represent one fifth of all retail dollars, uh, and it's an economic engine that we we continue to promote, and we we're happy with the role that we play in North Carolina's economic uh, economic might. Well, I also noticed one of the other facts that uh, Jason uncovered was that car and truck dealers collect more tax for the state of North Carolina than anyone other than the Department of Revenue. That's a, that's just an astounding contribution to the state budget. That is correct, and and. Uh, uh, right now, when you buy a vehicle, you pay 3%, which seems like a small amount. Uh, you pay 3% on the price of a new car. Well, when you multiply, multiply that by $40,000 transaction price, that amount uh, becomes pretty significant. And also, all the general sales tax collected through the servicing, uh, you know, through the having the vehicle repairs, uh, it, it becomes a pretty significant number in North Carolina's economy. Well, especially in this day and age where North Carolina has this uh, sort of antiquated system of raising tax money for the construction of roads, and that's based on gasoline sales. And, of course, the, the car manufacturers are working against that model because they're trying to make more and more efficient cars. And so even though we may be driving more and even though we may be growing, 
the truth of the matter is uh, the uh, uh, tax earned at the gas pump uh, is is limited because of the progress that the manufacturers are making and uh, making their cars more efficient. You know, you're going to see, Don, you're going to see ICE vehicles, ICE standing for internal combustion vehicles. The average age of a vehicle on the road today is 12 years old. So you figure for that car that you're buying today, that car you're buying today is going to be around 2033. You know, that car is going to be continuing to buy gas at the at the pump for a long time. There's a lot being discussed about the the you know how long will the gas tax that's at the that's created by fuel consumption uh, work for North Carolina? That's going to create a lot of money in the years ahead. That's not going to turn itself off overnight. Uh, gas tax promoting you know highway transportation uh, spending is going to be around in North Carolina for a long time. Well, of course, North Carolina is growing very rapidly, especially the metropolitan areas. Traffic is getting. Uh, back to normal after COVID. And uh, of course, I think we kind of forgotten how bad it was before, but uh, traffic uh, consumption is going to require more and more streets and roads. I was interested in the fact that the average uh, vehicle, the average age was 12 and a half years. If you go back uh, 20 years uh, or so, go back to say 1985, what was the average age of the car on the road then? I, I may be asking you a number that you're going to have to just sort of. No, interestingly, Don, we follow this. We follow it pretty close. It was probably in the area of seven years old. I mean, it just goes to show that today's vehicles, average age, 12 years on the road today. If you go back 20 years, that was probably in the, in the seven to eight range. And uh, today's vehicles are the safest vehicles ever built. The most feature-rich vehicles ever built, and the most clean, from an environmental point of view, the cleanest vehicles ever built. The the vehicles on the road today that you're buying today are just incredible machines uh, in comparison to the past. What's also interesting is that when when you and I first bought our car several years ago, you know, we had 36 payments that we had to make. And uh, we paid for that vehicle over a three-year period of time. Well, now consumers are paying for that vehicle over a six-year period of time or a seven-year period of time. And it just goes to show that, like I said, the vehicles that are built on that are built today and bought to, bought today are the cleanest, most feature-rich vehicle on the road in the history of transportation. Well, some of us on this program, and I'm not talking about our guest, and I'm not talking about Jason. I'm talking about me. Go all the way back. When, uh, Back in the 50s, when you traded cars about every two years or every three years because the car was worn out. <laughs> Don, I tell the story all the time. I remember my father had a vehicle that was was a 1970s vehicle. And when it passed 100,000 miles, we got out and took the car's picture. Uh, it was quite a feat when you had a vehicle that had 100,000 miles on it. And today's vehicles come with odometers that, that go beyond 100,000 miles. So uh, the vehicles on the road today that are being built are the finest vehicles, uh, yeah, really, in the history of transportation. Well, it's, it's interesting how much progress has been made also in the area of safety because, uh, you know, uh, cars, on, uh, you know, we sort of laugh and joke about it, but the, we're, we're on the interstate roads, especially in traffic time, there is essentially not much of a speed limit uh, because it's almost impossible for the highway patrol to stop anybody because it ties traffic up. Uh, but the cars are safer. And, uh, uh, you know, 20 years ago, if we were going 75 or 80 miles an hour, I, I guess we were taking a significantly higher risk than we are today. Right. You know, Don, interestingly, the technology that you have in your vehicle today 
just in the information center, just in your dashboard, the technology in that dashboard exceeded the technology that landed on the moon in 1969. It just goes to show that what, what technology is available on the dashboard of your car today has just made incredible leaps over the past 20 years. Well, that's something I want to, uh, we've got uh, three more segments to go on this program, and I want to talk about how much uh, and how the dealerships have had to expand the the training of their employees because all this technology requires service, and it's it's not uh, the typical mechanic uh, type training that the, the car dealers had in the 50s and 60s and 70s, even the 80s and 90s. Uh, the, the, the dealerships have to have a far further reaching education program for their employees. Interestingly, um, most, most manufacturers require their dealers to have an information specialist, somebody who is a specialist. When a consumer buys a car, that information specialist works with the consumer to educate the consumer on the many features of a new car. It's pretty amazing. Well, it is. And some of these facts are just really interesting. And I'm looking forward to the rest of the interview. We've got Bob Glasser on, Robert Glasser, who's the president of the North Carolina uh, Automobile Dealers Association. And we'll be back with another segment. We're going to talk about the uh, manufacturers and where they're headed in that segment. And we will do that right after we take time out for these messages. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by End Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week is Robert Glasser, who is the president of the North Carolina Automobile Dealers Association. We're talking about the uh, the, the, the uh, huge involvement that we have in North Carolina with uh, with automobile dealers and with the car and with how important it is to the budget of the average family or even the an average family of everyone, for that matter. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the dealer relationship with the manufacturers, because uh, uh, one of the things that's so interesting to me as an outsider is to watch the competitiveness of the dealerships in North Carolina 
the manufacturers have set up a very competitive situation where in most markets, you've got a choice of two or three dealers, even for the same brand of tire, a uh, car. And so this, this leads to a, a, a better opportunity for the consumer to get a, a, what uh, is the lowest possible price. Don, certainly. I mean, dealers believe, and, and this model goes back nearly 100 years, dealers support a retail marketplace that, that's really consumer-centric, that's consumer-centered. Number one, highly competitive. The, the, when you have a highly competitive, robust marketplace, the consumer wins. And the dealers support a sales transaction that, that's clear, that's open, and that one that's 100% transparent to the, to the consumer. When you have competition and you have a highly competitive, robust marketplace, and you have a transparent transaction, the consumer wins in that case. And that's one of the things that the dealers are probably most proud about is the fact that our franchise laws are built, and it says, it says, it says so in the state laws, to protect the consumer. And we do a pretty good job of working with DMV in that respect. So what is the uh, – has – uh, the current relationship between the manufacturers and the dealers, and what, what is the future relationship as you see, and do you have concerns about that relationship? It, it's a relationship, Don, that I watch every day. It ebbs and flows. Obviously, the biggest thing we have right now with the relationship is the chip shortage and, and how the OEMs are dealing with the chip shortage. Here's the thing that you know, 20 years ago, we, we never talked about chip shortages in, in vehicles. And the relationship between the dealer today and the OEM is really strained because uh, dealers aren't getting vehicles and, and dealers have nothing to sell. And, and we certainly understand what, what's driving the issue, what's driving the inventory concerns, but we have to fix this chip shortage uh, to allow consumers to get in new vehicles and allow dealers to continue to sell and address the consumer needs. Are the manufacturers still manufacturing the cars and just uh, stockpiling them, waiting on chips that, that will complete the automobile, or are they slowing down in the in the production of the cars? Well, two things are happening. First and foremost, just this week, two of the big manufacturers, Ford and General Motors, announced uh, joint venture partnerships with uh, other entities to develop more chips for the auto industry. So that's one thing. And the second thing is, is we are seeing light at the end of the tunnel of uh, some of the vehicles. So we are seeing an, uh, an end uh, to the chip shortage, but it's going to take, Don, a good six to nine months before the supply chain returns to normal on the delivery of vehicles. There are still fields in Kentucky that have Ford vehicles just, just waiting for chips to be, to, to be developed. So, so there's a large number of car, uh, cars and trucks that are uh, waiting just chips, and when they become available, then there's another supply chain problem, and that is how you get them to the dealership. Because I've seen these big vehicles bringing in cars; they bring them in about eight or ten at a time. You, and of course, the car dealer is selling some of those. So, how long will it take an average car dealer to get back to the inventory that they once had? We're expecting at least six months, Don. We're expecting yep. the second half of 2022 uh, for any chance of normalcy to return. And, and one of the things that we are seeing is, is that having a small, uh, having a, a, a less amount of inventory on the dealership lot uh, has sort of changed consumer demand. And, and I don't think we'll ever get back to the days where we had significant, large, huge inventories, because I think the consumer has now with manufacturing, with just-in-time manufacturing, uh, 
Uh, I think there's going to be less reliance on that huge inventory that we saw maybe 15 years ago, maybe 10 years ago, and more just-in-time manufacturing uh, for automotive, uh, for automotive vehicles, trucks, cars. A number of years ago, uh, General Motors, for example, pulled back in the manufacture of Pontiacs and Oldsmobiles. And uh, before that, Chrysler at one time had Plymouths and DeSotos and, and Imperials and so forth. Uh, what effect did that have on dealerships and how were the dealers compensated when they lost their franchise? You know, when, when Oldsmobile went away and when, when the, several of them went away, I, I recall, you know, it, it depends on the various relationship that the manufacturer has with the dealer. Uh, in some of those cases, the dealer was compensated well, the fair market value of the franchise at that time. Other ones, literally, there was, there was not a lot of compensation between the dealer and the, and the factory. So it really depends on, on the manufacturer and how they choose to, to exit the marketplace. Well, one of the things, you know, anytime you take, like for example, when Oldsmobile went away, I believe it was 2003, there are still a lot of Oldsmobiles on the road that need service and need help. You know, And that's the value of the franchise system is even when Oldsmobile quit making vehicles, you had a network of Oldsmobile dealers who could continue to supply services and help the consumer with those vehicles. And that's one of the benefits of the franchise system. Now, another big change that we've seen, particularly, I guess, in the, I don't know when exactly it started, but it has become very pronounced these days. And that is the shift from the four-door sedan to the more truck-like vehicle, the SUVs and so forth. Uh, what percentage of cars now are really classified as trucks and what percentage are classified as automobiles? Well, a significant majority of the vehicles we sell in North Carolina are that SUV and truck, pickup truck, large SUV, or what they call a crossover utility vehicle. Uh, it's way in excess of 50%, Don. It used, yeah, I would venture to guess 70%. I don't track that number. But the, the boundaries between the old sedan that we grew up in and versus the pickup truck uh, that we remember has long been blurred by that small utility vehicle that's half van, half sedan. They're, they're just phenomenal vehicles. I don't know if they're trucks or cars, but I know that the consumer is definitely buying that crossover utility vehicle that really maximizes the effectiveness and maximizes the utility for the consumer. I've been watching uh, television commercials, particularly about the tailgate of trucks and what they're doing to make the tailgate uh, a real uh, a real feature of a car. Back in the 70s and 80s, I had a pickup truck, and it was a truck. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Don, the, the technology in the vehicles today is just phenomenal. I mean, from the multi-feature lift gate to the being able to open the, the back of your vehicle with your foot not even touching the vehicle – to how many cup holders you have in a vehicle. When I grew up, you didn't have cup holders in your vehicle. And now, I mean, they're, they're one of the features that they, uh, the manufacturers sell. So, you know, the, the vehicles on the road today are just simply phenomenal machines in comparison to the past. I want to get back to uh, something you alluded to earlier, and that's the financing of cars, because as you said, not so long ago, uh, well, you know, it depends on what your age is, but not so long ago, a payout on a car was 36 months or 48 months. And now it's much longer than that. Uh, do you see that trend continuing and are the financing sources outside of the dealership financing still uh, a, a hot commodity? 
it it uh, in in the auto space that is a very robust marketplace. You have a lot of lenders out there who really compete with one another to get the best rate for the consumer. So yes, I see it continuing. A lot of consumers buy the vehicle on the payment alone. You know, so obviously if you stretch that uh, term out to six years, it's going to reduce the payment as compared to a five year payment. So it is still a very aggressive, very competitive uh, marketplace for the consumer. And you have a lot of people who uh, who are involved in that, both local banks, both national banks. But uh, it really does benefit the com- consumer to have a competitive uh, lending market. Well, I think that's sort of a reoccurring theme of everything we're talking about here. The automobile dealers are very competitive with one another. The marketplace is very competitive. And so that uh, leads us to believe that uh, uh, that uh, the current structure, the franchise structure with uh, the dealerships and the manufacturers is uh, something that the consumer needs to worry about and seeing that that is protected. Yeah, we, we believe here again, we believe in a highly competitive, we believe in a pro-competition, pro-community, pro-transparent uh, transaction. And, and that supports everybody. It supports the dealer. It allows the dealer to make money. It allows the consumer to save money. Uh, it, it's just a marketplace that works for all parties. One of the things that's been interesting to me, uh, of course, our company sells advertising to automobile dealers. And so we get to know a lot of them very well. And one of the things that's always been interesting to me is while they're extremely competitive and uh, certainly want to beat the other to a car sale. They're also a, a very uh, friendly group. They get along well. They, they seem to want to work together for the betterment of the automobile industry. Right. Now, one of the things that when 20 years ago, when I started, the, the franchise car dealers were the second largest family-owned industry in America. And you have, you have industries that was only behind the funeral homes that was the largest family-owned industry in America at that time. But you have you have industries and you have dealers in North Carolina who go back a hundred years. You know their grandfathers knew the other dealers' grandfather. So it's very much a family oriented industry. It's an industry that is highly community supportive. What these dealers do for the community in working together, they work with other. They work they work with their competitors uh, for the betterment of the community is truly phenomenal. And and it's really a family industry. It's 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 fun to be involved with. Uh, it, it definitely is rooted in the family values. You know, one of the things that the manufacturers have worked very hard on is increasing gas mileage. How much more room is there uh, for the standard uh, car The uh, uh, as far as increasing gas mileage? Do we have some more room there yet? You know, I, th- I think so, Don. And I think with the development of new metals, for example, there's a metal called combustible aluminum which is significantly stronger yet lighter than, than common steel and common metal, I think you'll continue to see improvements in gas mileage just with the develop, new developments in certain materials like that. Uh, other, de- other developments such as the auto stop, when you uh, every time you pull up the red light, your vehicle cuts off and literally restarts when you press the gas pedal. Those are features that are relatively new uh, in today's vehicles, and they didn't exist 20 years ago. Uh, so there's still there's still room uh, in the development of new metals, the development of new features. Uh, I think you'll continue to see, uh, you know, gas mileage or, or miles per gallon increases in the years ahead. 
Now, uh, there seems like there's always a sort of shift between uh, the larger, a less fuel-efficient car, and then when gas prices go up, all of a sudden the consumer gets interested in the lower uh, or the more efficient cars. Um, is that just a trend we're going to live with, depending on the price of gas? I, I, th- I think so. It's one that we've certainly seen over the last 20 years. It seems like when the price of gas goes up, those smaller vehicles become a little more popular. When the price of gas goes down, those larger SUVs become a little more popular. But uh, the bottom line is, is today's vehicles are, are just uh, the cleanest vehicles, the most effectively made vehicles, the most gas-efficient vehicles on the road. And uh, it still is driven by the price of gas at the pump. Uh, but, you know, the, the vehicles are pretty remarkable machines. Robert Glasser is our guest. He's the current president of the North Carolina Automobile Dealers Association, only the third in the 86 history of that association, which is kind of a remarkable statistic in itself. And I see you have some background with the University of Notre Dame, so we might talk a little bit of football and basketball a little bit later on, too, as well. But we'll be back to talk more about uh, cars and the automobile industry and the love of the cars uh, with the American public, and we'll do that right after we take time out for these messages. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Adopt U.S. Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting a Teenager Learning the Lingo. GOAT, G O A T, acronym, stands for greatest of all time, as in spaghetti sandwiches for dinner? They're my fave. Dad, you're the GOAT. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back with uh, Robert Glasser, who's the president of the North Carolina Automobile Dealers Association, and we're talking about cars and the relationship between uh, the uh, American public, particularly in our case, the state of North Carolina citizens, who are buying some one half, uh, 500,000 new cars a year in just the state of North Carolina. Uh, I think, uh, and I, I believe you told me you had 559 different new car dealerships across the state. Uh, that, that's incredible. I, I want to get back to that in just a moment. But in the meantime, I want to talk a little bit about the fact that uh, another uh, very competitive thing is going on as we see it all the time and hear it on radio commercials and see it on television commercials. And that is the insurance companies are really working to get uh, more and more of uh, the market share, which means that the uh, insurance business is basically good for cars and for the uh, insurance uh, 
companies. Uh, and a large part of this is the fact that the cars are so much more uh, uh, dependable and safer than they used to be. And so this brings down the cost of the insurance because you have less, uh, less wrecks, less accidents. And uh, uh, that's another way that the American consumer benefits from the progress that the, the manufacturers and the dealers are doing in providing safe cars. That is true, Donna. One of the biggest features you see on today's vehicles is the backup camera. Just think of the number of accidents, the number of small accidents in that local supermarket parking lot that have been eliminated by the backup camera. And that's just one example of how the manufacturers work to reduce uh, the number of accidents, to work with the insurance companies, uh, and, and really to make vehicles safer. I mean, uh, add to that the, the lane uh, the lane technology that will shake your vehicle or, or, or beep your, your steering wheel when your vehicle is out of your lane. Uh, technology like that is in vehicles today. It's making the vehicle safer, uh, easier to drive. Uh, and here again, just phenomenal vehicle. Well, I love the little flashing light of the uh, rear view mirrors on the side of the cars because uh, I don't know how many times that saved me from a possible accident because uh, 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 for some reason or other, I always have trouble getting my mirrors adjusted properly, or maybe I don't check them. But that little flashing light uh, really helps a great deal in, in keeping me on the ball. One of the things you'll see in the, in the years ahead, Don, is that that mirror will be replaced with a camera. Uh, right now, you know, you have mirrors, you have a rear view mirror, and you have to side view mirrors. But in the days ahead, you're going to see those are going to be screens. Those are going to be LED screens. For example, in today's General Motors vehicles, in the, the trucks and pickups, you can flip back and forth from your rear view mirror to a camera, which sees the same thing in the back of the vehicle. Uh, here again, just more and more technology, more technology that requires chips, uh, nonetheless, but more technology in the vehicle. Okay, so that, that brings up another thing. How are the car dealers keeping up with all this technology? Because I guess back in the 70s, a mechanic uh, learned how to change spark plugs and uh, fan belts and all that sort of thing. And now all of a sudden they're dealing with all these electronic things. Uh, how do the dealers keep their staff uh, full of experts who can handle these different repairs and take advantage of this technology? You know, on average, Don, the average uh, mechanic, which is no longer a term in the industry. I mean, I, the, I think the mechanics last, we call mechanics 20, 30 years ago, they're now technicians, they're service technicians. And it's very, it's very computer driven. Uh, first thing you do when you pull into that, that service bay is you plug it in that compu uh, computer and it'll tell you what's wrong with the vehicle. And then that technician fits, uh, fixes the vehicle. But that technician goes through probably 40, 60, 80 hours of training a year to maintain their certification to work on those vehicles. It's a significant commitment on behalf of all dealers to keep their service technicians uh, educated on new vehicles. Well, I'm, I'm going to jump back now to something you were alluding to a few moments ago, and it, it's essentially the whole uh, topic of a self-driving car because now you have the, the beeping when you get out of your lane, you have the flashing lights in the rear view mirrors and so forth. How close are we to uh, having much more of a dependence on something that is more self-driving than even we have right now? And I think we're still a long way away in that. I, I think the media is, is uh, glamorizing the self-driving vehicle, but I think from a consumer point of view, you're still a long way away. 
I think America has a love affair with their vehicles, and people like to drive their vehicles. Uh, but with that said, I do think that you'll see uh, uh, autonomous vehicles on what are called closed track uh, locations. For example, I think you'll see them at airports taking consumers to uh, the parking lots and the parking decks and stuff like that. But that's a closed track. I think we're still a ways away from having the, the, the gentleman or the lady run out, get in their car, program it where it's going to go and have it taken that way. I, I, I just think consumers aren't ready yet for that transaction. Well, we haven't mentioned the aids that the, the, some of the cars have now in parking. Right, right. I mean, think of it Think of it this way. The, the, the days of having to park your car to get your driver's license when you do the parallel parking, uh, I just wish that I had that lane assist and parking assist back then uh, oh, yeah. because it, today's technology makes it much easier with the cameras alone uh, to park your vehicle to parallel park. It's, yeah. it's, it's pretty phenomenal. Something you brought up during the break that I think uh, needs uh, some recognition, and that's the fact that the NCADA, the North Carolina Association of uh, Automobile uh, Dealers, uh, and uh, the dealers themselves have been doing for years, and that is supporting the community and the state with uh, some very interesting programs. I know uh, one of the programs that you are uh, work with, and we had the opportunity to work with you on this, is is the North Carolina Hometown Heroes Program, but you've had several others. Let's let's talk about that and how the dealers pull together to do these statewide community projects. Don, right now we're working with the local first responders, uh, and and we started a program back in the 15th anniversary of 9/11, where we wanted to recognize those first responders, firemen, policemen, EMTs, uh, who really protect our communities. I mean, these are the people who. They put their uniform on every day and they hope to come back home. And uh, so many of them, when when we, we've recognized over 500 of them in North Carolina, so many of them say, listen, I'm not a hero. I'm just a guy who who's doing his job, who wants to come home, watch my kid's soccer game, have a glass of wine with my neighbors. And it, it's really uh, our commitment to, to recognizing and supporting them is one of the the best things that our industry is doing. I mean, these are local heroes who really, they run in when everybody else is running out. And uh, we have a commitment to to honor and recognize them. And and it's pretty phenomenal that the dealers work together, competitive dealers work together to recognize their their hometown heroes. Another program that uh, you brought up before we started the program and what an honor it was for you to participate that as an individual. And that is, was the, Triangle Flight of Honor, which was something done by the Triangle Automobile Dealers. Uh, tell us a little bit about that and your personal experience with that. In, uh, in 2009, we started a program of flying World War II veterans. We had a lot of help from Curtis Media, for example. Don, your organization was very involved in that. Uh, we started a program where we flew 821 World War II veterans to Washington, D.C., uh, we would load them up on buses. We would take them around to their memorials, the monuments. Uh, it was an honor to see uh, these men and women who, uh, who who didn't want any thanks, who came back after the war and, and went on their life building their family and, and building America. And so in 2009, we flew eight flights up to Washington, D.C. Uh, many of the dealers were involved. And uh, it was just an honor and a privilege to stand next to a veteran 
uh, and we were standing at the the Vietnam or the uh, Marine Corps Memorial in Arlington Cemetery, where there, there's a statue of six American soldiers raising a flag. And the, the gentleman next to me said, "I was there when that happened." And you can't make that up. You know, you can't you can't pay for that a feeling when you're standing next to a gentleman who was on Iwo Jima in 1945, and he saw that flag raised. And it was just an honor on behalf of all dealers to uh, to do that program. It was probably one of the best programs I've ever been involved in my life. I think in uh, reading some of the background on that uh, particular uh, event, the average age of the World War II participants that you uh, uh, honored was 84 years old, which is, uh, uh, you know, we're getting further and further away from World War II. But uh, that must have been a real thrill for those uh, individuals but probably also for their their uh, their uh, descendants and their families, because uh, uh, you know our whole way of living was on the on the line during World War II in a way that's never been before. Uh, the uh, uh, free freedom that we have was really dated that we enjoy today really dates back to World War II, and we can't forget those people. Don, one, one of the things we did as part of every flight uh, is we had what was called mail call. And uh, before the flight, we would reach out to the families and we'd reach out to high schools and grade schools. And we would ask them to write thank you letters to the various veterans. And we would give them all their names. And we would reach out to family members, nieces, nephews, grandsons, grandchildren, and say, hey, listen, this is an opportunity to write your grandfather a letter. And uh, at the end of the flight, when we're coming back to Raleigh, and we would pass out these letters, these letters of thanks. It truly was one of the most touching times because mail call was a big thing in World War II. And we rang the bell and said mail call. And uh, we gave people 20, 30 thank you uh, letters from their grandkids and letters from their family. Uh, it was certainly not a moment that I'll ever forget. And uh, it was just an amazing time. Well, you've had some other projects in the past as well, uh, the Drive for Troops and the North Carolina Teacher of the Year program. You might want to mention those briefly because those were very important during the time period that you were uh, sponsoring those events. Yeah, we worked with uh, Governor Hunt's administration early on in the late 1990s to, we were the first state in the union, actually we were the only state in the union for a couple of years that provided a vehicle. We, we gave the Teacher of the Year a, a free vehicle, clean and clear, it was theirs. And uh, we were the only state in which the dealers worked together to do that. And even to this day, uh, several dealers in local communities recognize their local Teacher of the Year uh, with a vehicle. So uh, it's a program we started, had great success with it, worked with the governor, uh, worked with Governor Hunt's administration on that. Uh, and it was fun to see teachers who make up such a, a fabric of America uh, recognized by the local dealers. The Hometown Heroes program is continuing? It is continuing. This is the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Just yesterday, uh, one of the dealers in Rocky Mount recognized about 10 uh, first responders. And, and here again, you know, these people are heroes. And these people don't back away uh, from conflict. In fact, one of the uh, first responders we recognized yesterday was actually involved in a gunfight on I-95 in which the criminal uh, was stopped, came out of their vehicle, and, and was shooting. And uh, the young lady who was recognized uh, uh, survived. But, you know, that, 
that that certainly doesn't happen in my life. And uh, we need to recognize those people. They they really do sacrifice their their livelihood for the community. Well, you know, I'm sure this uh, is very satisfying to the members of uh, the dealers themselves. And as you said, uh, uh, even though some of the companies have grown a great deal in size, this is still pretty much a family-oriented type business. Uh, the dealers uh, may have a large number of what they call rooftops, but uh, uh, it's still pretty much a, a group of families that run them. It, in addition to that, Don, it's it's an industry that is very family-oriented and that carries the values of the families. You still have some dealers who are closed on Friday, or closed on Sundays, I'm sorry, to give their employees an opportunity to go to church. It's that type of, uh, it's that type of industry. Our guest is Robert Glasser. He's the president of the North Carolina Automobile Dealers Association. We have one final segment, and in that segment, we're going to talk about the future of uh, the industry and what uh, Bob sees is uh, the challenges that they have uh, in providing the services that they do and remaining as competitive and as consumer-oriented as they are. And we'll do that right after these messages. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains, dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. When you went car shopping, you meant business. You ace vehicle history searches and test drives. You out salesmen to the salesman. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org. Because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to the final segment of Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week is Robert Glasser. He is the president of the North Carolina Automobile Dealers Association, an organization that uh, has some 559 new car dealerships across the state uh, that uh, provides some employment for some 75,000 citizens. Uh, the total retail sales of all these dealerships is somewhere around $28.2 billion. And, uh, of course, as we said, uh, they collect an awful lot of tax on the sale of new cars that uh, helps keep our streets and highways running uh, and uh, will sell somewhere around 500,000 new vehicles this year. Um, and, uh, uh, of course, there are challenges, Robert, to every industry. Uh, and I'd like for you to take some time here to talk about what you see as the challenges for the members of your organization as they continue to uh, provide uh, the products and services that they do. 
Yeah, Don, there are three basic challenges that we're facing right now. Two are on the short-term side and one's on a little longer-term side. The first challenge we have in our industry is, is just inventory. And, and we're really uh, strapped with this chip issue. Uh, dealers aren't, aren't getting vehicles to sell. Uh, dealers are staying very, very involved in the community. But you'll go past the dealership's lot, and there are five or 10 or 15 cars on the lot where there are normally 150 vehicles on the lot. So one of the first challenges that we need to address is just the, the inventory shortage. I think we're heading in the right direction. I think the partnerships that Ford General Motors are having with chip manufacturers is a step in the right direction, but it's a big issue and will continue to be an issue for the next few months. That's issue number one. I think issue number two is just the shortage of workers. Uh, not unlike a lot of other industries in North Carolina, uh, we're impacted by an inability to attract the new uh, the new worker. I mean, and, and especially with technicians today who are used to working with uh, with gas powered vehicles, and now all of a sudden we're going to have electric vehicles in the showroom and the service base. We're going to have to attract a whole new technician that is able to work on those EVs as compared to working on the internal combustion engines. In addition to that, we just have a shortage of people who want to work in the accounting office and the admin office and sell vehicles. So there's a shortage. We're, we're certainly looking for qualified employees in the auto industry. That's challenge number two. Challenge number three is just, just working to address the adoption of, e, of electric vehicles in, across North Carolina. Car dealers are all in. We will sell EVs all day and all night if the consumer wants to buy an EV. But we have to be prepared. We have to work on being trained. We have to work to train our employees, our technicians, as more and more of these EVs hit the marketplace. So those are the three challenges. One is inventory, one's employees, and one's to get in front of the adoption of these electric vehicles. The internet is an interesting thing that is happening. And of course, uh, the use of the internet for commerce greatly enhanced by the COVID-19 crisis where people were uh, staying at home more and using the internet more. How has that affected uh, car sales? And what are the pluses and minuses for the dealers uh, in using the internet to sell cars and deliver them uh, not to, 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 to people who actually come to the lot, but uh, buy the car online. I tell you, Don, it was a tremendous opportunity for our industry to sort of shift to digital transaction. And before COVID hit, there, was, there, were, there were several dealers where were committed to shifting the digital transactions and doing a lot of the paperwork over the internet and doing a lot of the transaction over the internet. But all of a sudden, when you had COVID hit, now the dealer had to do the transaction over the internet and, and a digital transaction. So it was an opportunity that our dealers really got behind. They trained their employees, they trained their staff, and now it's become a standard. I mean, uh, dealers are 100% committed to, to digital, digital transactions, to paperless transactions, to touchless transactions. And we're also committed that if you want your vehicle delivered to your home, we'll deliver to your, your vehicle to your home. Uh, so COVID was good because it allowed a lot of dealers to change their practices to be more pro-consumer in, in that transaction. Well, it, it, it's interesting. We all learned a lot of tricks. For example, you and I are doing this broadcast by, by uh, uh, electronics, uh, by digital. Uh, I'm in one location. You're in another. We're doing it by Zoom. 
And uh, it's so much easier than having you come out to the studio and take another hour of your time to, to record the broadcast. So we've all learned a lot of good tricks uh, from uh, the, the uh, facts of the, uh, that arose during the COVID situation. Uh, I, I want to get back to one other thing. You mentioned this a number of times in the uh, other segments, but a number of people joined the program in progress. Talk a little bit again and remind us again of some of the things that you see that's going to happen uh, to make cars safer and more efficient, uh, improvements to the car itself from the manufacturer that the dealers will be selling. Now, one of the biggest things I think consumers will see is called a, what we call a digital dashboard delivery. And I think what you'll see in the next few years ahead is more and more content delivered to the dashboard of that vehicle. You'll have, in essence, you'll have your dashboard will become basically an iPad, and you'll have apps that you'll be able to find the nearest gas station or the nearest electric charger. You'll be able to find, you know, the price of tires or where's the best place to have your car fixed. You'll be able to check on what's the weight line at the local restaurant. You it'll the the content that will be delivered to the dashboard of your car that that driver or that passenger will have at the click of a few fingertips. Uh, is phenomenal. That's one of the biggest changes you'll see. In addition to that, the whole adoption and rollout of EVs, uh, you know, when you get in one of these EVs and you turn it on, you can't even hear it. Uh, it, It's just a significant shift that the consumers will see in the years ahead. Uh, Incredible safety features, backup cameras, more cameras. uh, uh, You'll see more and more of that in tomorrow's vehicles. How much will this add to the cost of a car? Uh, and is it possible that some of these features might actually re- reduce costs? I, I don't know, Don, exactly what what the, the incremental cost is. I, I know that the transaction price of vehicles has increased 25% over the last eight years. I don't know how much of that is technology-driven. But, but I just know that the incremental cost of that new feature can't be significant as compared to the total cost of all the technology in that vehicle. So I I don't know the exact cost, but I know that the technology in tomorrow's vehicles is just going to continue to increase year over year. We also talked a little bit about uh, shifting trends from the consumer that when gas prices go up, people tend to want to buy more economical cars for a while. And then when gas prices come down, uh, they go back to the uh, less efficient cars that might have more features and, and uh, more uh, convenience as far as the driver. Uh, and of course, we also talked about the fact that uh, more and more people are buying what is what we would typically call a truck versus a four-door sedan or a two-door sedan. Talk a little bit more about that one more time for those who joined the program late. Now, Don, North Carolina is very much a, a pickup truck state. You know, uh, with the mountains two or three hours away, with the beach two or three hours away, you have a lot of people pulling boats. You have a lot of people pulling horses. And and one of the things we're seeing is a significant shift to those uh, crossover utilities, those pickups, those big SUVs. Uh, and really, the, the multi-purpose of those vehicles is just phenomenal for families. Uh, you'll continue to see that. And one of the things that the manufacturers are working towards is they're trying to make that vehicle an electric vehicle. For example, Ford has made great progress uh, uh, making the F-150, which is one of the most popular pickup trucks on the market, an electric vehicle. I think you'll see more and more effort 
to make those leading vehicles, those pickup trucks, those big crossovers, uh, electric vehicles in the years ahead. 21% of all retail sales in North Carolina created by North Carolina car dealers. Unbelievable. It's uh, We're proud of the role that we play in North Carolina's economy. Uh, we're proud of the role that we play in the local communities. And uh, it, it's a model that we believe is, is pro-consumer, pro-competition, pro-community. And, and it's a franchise model that, that we want to keep in place in the years ahead. Well, I, I, and I think uh, we, we've alluded to this several times, but uh, it, this works out well for the consumer because of the competitiveness, not only of the dealers uh, between brands, but also the same brand. In other words, if you are buying a, uh, a Toyota or a Chevrolet or whatever, uh, you have a choice of dealers to buy it from, and this keeps the price down uh, and uh, makes it far more efficient. Uh, and more uh, opportunistic, I guess, is the better word for the consumer to get a, a good deal. Uh, do you see more car dealers uh, as North Carolina continues to grow? You know, I don't see more car dealers as we continue to grow, but I, I see a continued uh, uh, importance that dealers play, just not in the purchase of the vehicles, Don, as you mentioned. Uh, competition does reduce the vehicles. When you can when you can get a quote from one dealer and take it over to the other dealer, that deal is pretty competitive and, and is going to work the best deal they can get. But in addition to that, the biggest thing is, is just the ability to service the vehicle. When you have multiple outlets that you can have your vehicle fixed, you know, if you have a Ford or General Motors or Toyota or Honda, you can get that vehicle fixed at countless places across North Carolina. If you have an EV that may not have a dealership network behind it, it's incredibly difficult to get that vehicle serviced. And that's one of the things that we see from a consumer point of view that these startup companies, a lot of the EV startup companies do not have a network of dealers behind them that can service the vehicle on behalf of the consumer. It's a big issue from a consumer point of view. One other thing that you brought up early in the program that I still think is amazing is that the average age of the vehicle on the road today is 12 and a half years uh, do you see that uh, growing, or is that going to be a figure that will probably uh, remain sort of constant? Don, I think with the technology in the vehicles today, I see that continuing. Uh, I see the age of the vehicle increasing. You, you think on the surface that it's got to cap out somewhere, but just with the technology and the features that are built in today's car, I, I see that average age of the vehicle continuing in the years ahead. So uh, you've got about 30 seconds. What's uh, number one on your list right now of, of, of concerns that you have for the automobile dealers? And I would just say that car dealers are, are, are all in on the sale of EVs. I mean, we are working, uh, we're training our employees. We're working as hard as we can to prepare to be essential uh, as the consumers move to these EVs. We're ready, we're prepared, we're trained, uh, we're certified. And we want to be the, the consumer's partner as these EVs reach the marketplace. Absolutely perfect timing, Robert. Uh, Robert Glasser has been our guest. He's the president of the North Carolina Automobile Dealers Association, representing 559 dealers across the state of North Carolina. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, you can go online to carolinaviewsmakers.com and uh, find a complete rebroadcast of the program. And those of you who heard the 30-minute version, you could hear the entire hour's worth of content there. Jason Kong has produced our program, and we'll be back next week. Same time, same station. 
Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.